0: Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your host and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr.
1: Funkenstein.
2: I'll
1: tell you what, Tim, today, and Eric can attest to this too, being in the greater Denver area, it's fall. It feels yeah. like fall today. It is. Is
0: Commerce Day? Is it one of those uh, get outside and do something kind of days?
1: I mean, it's the first time you step out at, at whatever, 730 in the morning, and it's like 54 degrees, and you're like, oh, that's, that's chilly, and it hasn't warmed up that much. Kind of feels like fall.
0: Wow. Well, that's, that's kind of fun. We've, I mean, as far as Houston goes, we've had uh, pretty mild, very mild days here this the last week or so. Uh, Post-Nicholas has been quite pleasant.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it is getting to, I guess, the more comfortable time of year. So I'm ready for that. It's been too hot for me. Uh, Anyways, wanted to, uh, well, I wanted to rub it in your face that CU won that football game, but the Aggies were able to to pull it out, Tim. So I guess congratulations on that.
0: Well, yeah, I, I did a lot to to affect that game for sure. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, it's funny. It was, it was so dicey. I was pulling all of my, uh, Super fan tricks. You know, I went and changed shirts at halftime, moved to a different seat in the living room, all just to kind of change the luck up a little bit. So, you know, I I did all I could from where I was.
1: And I was just trying to drag you down with me as a bandwagon Buffs fan. I believe (laughs) I said, man, this is a big game. We are in great shape. I think we can get this upset done. You go, yeah, what number are you? And I said, well, I used to be number five.
0: Yeah, there you go. Anyways, I
1: guess you're still number five. So I can't
0: say. No, no. Well, I mean, depends on the poll, but anyway.
1: You got a shot. You got a shot. So Eric Marshall, my guy, I met Eric earlier this year. uh, He's got a lot of things going on, which is very common, I think, with our guests, but specifically uh, as it relates to technology, he's seen a lot of the early kind of adoption of tech companies in the energy tech space that are, I would consider, a little bit more technical, a lot of subsurface, some downhole, and then Iron IQ as well, which uh, we're going to jump into. But Eric, if you don't mind, give us sort of uh, your background, obviously, growing up, uh, Western Colorado, uh, making your way to mines and, and uh, into the professional. We'll kind of take us through your life?
2: Yeah, what's up, guys? Uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, de- so Western Colorado, I grew up in a small town called Delta. Uh, very few people know about Delta. I, I mean, you guys are kind of shaking your head. I think, Tim, you're actually Googling it right <laughs> oh, I'm now. I'm looking <laughs> up right uh, now. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, most people know Grand Junction. Some people know Montrose. Everybody knows Telluride and Aspen, right? So oh, yeah. um, I'm Delta's right in between Grand Junction and Montrose. And it is a farm town, coal mining town. Uh, my parents moved there when I was two years old. I, I, I mean, personally, I just claim to be a Colorado native. They're, they're still out there, but great spot. I mean, we moved there. like 3,500 people. Um, high school is pretty relaxed there's you know one in the town uh had a good time it's it's growing up in a small town's fun you've got access to everything right so uh anything for you know, sports music I was I had my hand in in, in just about anything you could think of
1: so are you like, are you just as close to like Salt Lake as you are to Denver? There, I mean, yeah. you're sort of out in no man's land, right?
2: Like right in the middle. Yep. Uh, in, in fact, my parents made a day trip to Salt Lake to to get a brush hog the other day. So <laughs> to uh, get a what? A brush hog. You got to keep the weeds down with the tractors. Okay. You know. So <laughs> hey, hey,
0: I just showed put put my uh, put my city right on there, huh?
2: Yeah, you kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean,
0: uh, what, you know, from uh, Western Colorado. I mean, what gets you to to School of Mines?
2: So, um, not getting into CU, those bastards. What? Wait, wait, yeah. wait! Whoa, uh, what the hell? I know. So here is the thing. Growing up, I wanted to do. I wanted to be an architect, right? So I was like, okay, I could do that. I go to Penn State. My parents say hey, you should probably stay in state; it'd be cheaper. Like, well, engineering could be cool. Maybe do some aerospace. I liked airplanes and. Um, so like, I'm going to go to engineering school and see you. I, it's just what I'm going to do. So I fill out my application. Um, I mean, let's just be honest, Jeremy, it's CSU is a safety school. So right. I, I, I applied there and, um, and, and I got into CSU and great. I'm waiting for my, my letter back from CU and, uh, didn't get in. I didn't see that coming, not holy to sound arrogant, holy. but I didn't expect that. Yeah. So uh, my, my dad, thankfully, and my mom both, have, like, why don't you apply to School of Mines? It's an engineering school. If you want to engineer, you might as well apply there. And I, to this day, I still don't know. But they, I, I don't know if they saw the forest or the trees or if they just made a big mistake. But <laughs> I got into Mines. So. I mean,
1: mine like, okay, so <laughs> Mines growing up to me in New England, right? There's so many good schools in the Northeast, right? It's very saturated with the private universities. But then if you looked at the rankings and the tiers, Little Colorado School of Mines was always way up there in like the top couple tiers of school. And I was like, that's so, that doesn't make sense. Like mining, it just all seems so foreign. So to me, it's like, where did CU mess this up, man? Like, I feel like people that go to mines generally do big things. Uh, Uh, My question, I didn't realize that there was a –
0: is there a big discrepancy between CU and School of Mines as far as to get in?
1: I think uh, School of Mines
2: is one of the harder schools to get into. That's kind of my
0: expectation would be.
1: Yeah, in
2: the whole country. I I thought so. And if anybody from the Mines admission team has ever listened to this podcast, maybe they can explain where they went wrong. Or maybe – you know what? How about this? Maybe CU can explain where they went wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This doesn't add up, man. Uh, We have our quota on Western Colorado kids. I guess we'll just let this kid go to Mines.
2: I, and you know hey it could have been that too you know what we uh we needed some more people from outside the Denver metro area we'll just let this poor country boy in and mm. see if he can hang so I went from a a first semester 0.76 GPA well wow. yeah yeah they were really second guessing that decision yeah I guarantee it to uh I, I finished on the dean's list mm-hmm. I mean you know it, it's an upward it's an upward battle but I I finished on top.
1: Yeah. I'm still going for that. I started so low and now I'm still trying to get on the Dean's list, but (laughs) we'll have to give it some more time. So you get to minds, right? And and this is actually, I can relate to this. And this is part of the reason that I I really enjoyed uh, when we met a couple months back is I'm a small town kid as well, country. And even if you take the hardest classes and all that, it's just a different level of education when you go to a private university like that. So I showed up in college and it was very humbling for me because it was mm-hmm. just extremely difficult. And I felt like, man, it's hard enough for me to adapt to the whole social like everybody all together thing. And then it's also really hard academically. Um, so what were you able to do to, to kind of turn it around?
2: I mean, when, when you're forced with the, the option of either getting it together or getting out, like <laughs> you, you, you kind of have to turn it around. Right. But it, what, what it came down to is I just needed to learn how to study you know, I, high school, middle school, it, that was just easy for me. I kind of cruise through and, and really focus on, on friends and relationships and activities and, and whatever you wanted to do. But I had to actually put school as a priority. And so doing that helped, right. That That's um, wasn't an easy turnaround. It definitely wasn't a switch to be flipped, but something I learned to do over time and I, I made it out. So. I'm going to, I'll tell you,
1: uh,
0: School of Mines. I've I've been to the campus a couple of times. Uh, oddly enough, to meet with some professors, you know, in my professional career, I put it up there with Pepperdine, School of Mines, even CU for that matter, of places where I think I would be driven to distraction just because of where it is. Nothing more than just the scenery. I mean, Pepperdine, of course, <laughs> is is legendary for you know sitting up there and watching whales go by and all that, but you know, school of mines, I I don't know that I'd just be out up above the brewery the whole time. Just, you know, looking at things. I mean, I don't How do you, how does that work? Yeah. It gets you from the mountains. Maybe you get used to it. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I I, I can see Jeremy's kind of, I think he's on the same page as I am. I, I grew up in it. Right. So it's not entirely different. Had I gone to Pepperdine? Yeah. Huge distraction being on the beach every day. Um Growing up in the mountains and staying in the mountains, kind of all the same. But to your point, it is an absolutely beautiful setting. And Golden is seriously one of the coolest towns Love it. Colorado has to offer. I mean, you've got everything from hiking, mountain biking, running, fishing, a couple of good breweries out of Golden. Red um, Rocks,
1: 10 minutes yep. away.
2: Everything's 20 minutes away. Even CU, thankfully, on the weekends. I spent a lot of time at CU on the yeah, weekends. Yeah,
1: much much more of a social scene up there for sure. I mean, Tim, you, you remember where I used to live. You came to my house in oh, oh, that... El, El Dorado Springs. And uh, sometimes you just forget. You're like, oh, right. I could just go for a walk in the mountains right now. And instead, you forget, oh, I'm all stressed out, man. People pay good money to live in places like that. Dude, you all know? you
0: had to do was sit mm-hmm. on your balcony and listen to the babbling brook down below. That That was... <sighs>
1: I miss it. No. You ever been to yeah. Eldo, Eric? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah.
1: it's like as the crow flies, it's very close to Golden and School of Mines, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you finished Mines and and then what? You got into oil and gas or did you do something else first?
2: No, I, I got into oil and gas. Um, funny enough, I my, my degree is mechanical engineering. Uh, I, I wanted to go into automotive, uh, maybe even kind of stay around the medical field, design prostheses, something like that and my, my best offer was oil and gas. So I went to work for Halliburton right out of the gates thinking I'll do this for, you know, a few months, maybe a couple of years until I find out what I really want to do and walking onto my first frack job and seeing all that horsepower, I was instantly hooked. So um, like, this is, this is one of the coolest things ever. And I, uh, I stayed with Halliburton for about five years when, you know, did some time up in Rock Springs. I, I lived down in in Houston, Tim, and um, I got out in just under three years with good behavior and got back up to Dim- up to Denver and haven't left since. So, uh, it's, <laughs> so were you in the were you in the good.
0: field as a field engineer the whole time, or?
2: Yeah, I, when I was down in Houston, I was, I was running a, a, a technology called their pinpoint stimulation, basically coil frac, uh, and uh, that was sort of a combination of a field and office activities. I was putting together all their workflows and safety procedures and things like that. But then I'd be going overseas for four, six, eight weeks at a time, introducing the technology to new areas and new operators. It was, it was a really, really fun job. I I enjoyed that a lot.
0: Where all did you get to go overseas? What's your kind of most exotic port of call?
2: I spent, uh, I I spent a few, few tours in uh, Northern Siberia. uh, Nice up in the northern part of Russia. Cult. Uh, I did a, a hitch down in Saudi Arabia, which was probably culturally one of the coolest things I've ever done. And and quite a bit of time in China, inner Mongolia areas, too. So it's wow. pretty neat to see those places. Yeah, I, I had a good time. You see a lot of cool stuff that, that doing is, that.
0: That's a pretty widespread. I'm just thinking northern Siberia and Sa- the desert of Saudi Arabia. That's a that's a big contrast.
2: I mean, I, mean, I think- similar
0: in a way being isolated not many people around but yeah but what oh man
2: i mean you talk about midland it's kind of like you know midland (laughs) yeah spread and temperature range there it's pretty big that's uh that's pretty
1: cool stuff so so you were on the technology side right focused on the actual like best of breed cutting edge drilling techniques um, was gotcha. your focus more sort of on oil? Was it on natural gas extraction? Was, was it a variety of different things? And and then I guess beyond that, are there different rules in each country that, that you're in as far as how risky or risk averse you can be in trying some of the new technology?
2: Oh, man. Um, yes to everything you just okay. said. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... As far as oil, natural gas goes, in the states at the time, it was all natural gas, right? Natural gas was still kind of the hot topic. We were just coming down off that fourteen dollar MCF range, and uh, that was still what everybody was chasing. But you go overseas, and they are still—they're starting to chase oil, you know, going after some liquids. Um, I think the time in in Russia was was very natural gas focused. Saudi Arabia was definitely very oil focused, and China was—I um, think they had primarily oil, but they were, they were willing to deal with the gas, you know, as far as adapting new technologies and different rules and things like that. It, there's a story that comes out of China that when, when we went over to, to do these technologies, they, they'd call me and say, okay, we're doing this new operational process for the first time. What do we need to do? So I was like, all right, here's what you got to do. You know, call, you know, company A, B and C, tell them you want, you know, this for a wellhead, I need a minimum of two barriers. You need some some pipe rams. You need you know, something you can actually shut everything in. We need to be able to circulate while you're moving pipe and you know, all this stuff. And great. So these guys, uh, they say that that's perfect. We'll get you everything you need. We show up, and, and the wellhead is a high drill that hasn't been tested. That's it. Wow. Like, well, this isn't going to do much good. So is this is this all we have yeah well these things won't even flow so you're fine one barrier is good for china i prefer something different but we'll roll with it so finish the first frack and we're tripping pipe with a live well so um thankfully he says that these this well is not going to flow right so we start tripping pipe what's tripping pipe Stripping pipe yeah. Tripping, tripping. Tripping. What's tripping, tripping, tripping out of the hole, pull yeah, no, no. so the pipe out, pull yeah. the pipe out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're, uh, we're moving up to the next stage. So this is, this technology is basically a straddle system, right? So you, you, uh, you perforate, <laughs> perforate you frack.
0: I'm just thinking Jeremy's going, "Oh man, more definitions. I need, yeah,
2: I mean, I kind of, so, so
1: Eric said, so, so just to, to take it a step back, right? Hmm? Yes. Tim is an engineer. Yes. I generally understand what you're talking about. We do have some listeners, believe it or not, that, you know, family, friends of mine, people that are just interested in general, that don't fully understand the, the terminology, right? So no, I mean, Tim's just getting a kick out of like, okay, it's doing this and that. But um, a brief descriptor for the
2: yeah, uh, Okay, yeah, for, okay, for, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so what this technology was is, you know, usually if you're, if, you're, if you're completing a vertical well at the time, right, you would go in and you pump a hydraulic frack job. You run it with wire line, you set a bridge plug over the job that you just completed. You perforate new new holes, new access to the rock, pump another frack job and, and rinse lather repeat. Well, it's a time-consuming process because in between stages, you've got two or three hours. So, what this did was allow you to do all of that with one trip in the hole, same string of pipe in nice. the hole, no, no wireline, nope, you know, you could pre-perforate everything, but you've got these packers or cups or whatever you want to call them that are isolating these perforations Um, i'm doing a really good job talking with my hands for anybody that's actually not watching this (laughs) but (laughs) it works it works okay okay so so you're isolating these perforations you're able to pump down pipe and actually stimulate these things and so when you're done you just pull the pipe up the hole restraddle the next set of perforations and pump another job and you don't have to spend two or three hours in between frac jobs. No waiting to do this. It. So it, it's a time saver in a, in a vertical well, and it was a pretty cool, cutting edge technology. So after this first frac in, in China, we're in the middle of nowhere and kind of just enjoying the scenery and all these farms that are on the side of the cliffs that people cut out and waiting around, enjoying the scenery. I look down, and the well that's not supposed to be flowing is flowing. Mm. And and to top it all off. There's a guy over there in his little red jumpsuit and little red hat with a broomstick and a and an H2S monitor, <laughs> holding it over the over the returns Oh to the my pit. god! So, like, what what's going on here? So I walk over to the, com- the the company man and and I so said, what what what's going on? I was like, oh yeah, this well's flowing a little bit. You guys did a really good job. Okay, not my concern right now. My concern is the well's blowing a little bit, and you got the new guy over there with an H2S monitor. Oh, yeah, these walls are sour. Uh oh. How sour? Like, well, we had an incident a few years ago, killed everybody within a you know, mile radius. Oh, my God. And I, I didn't know what to say at the time. And I, I, I'm i just Welcome kind of it. Welcome to yeah. China. Crap. Okay, thanks, Tim. You said it, I didn't have to. Um, so I, I'm just, I really am just dumped on it. Like, well, I would prefer that we shut the well in and figure something out and you maybe get the well control that I requested from the get go. And we can, you know, regardless, we can't be flowing this well if it's sour. And I will never to this day forget what this guy says. He looks at me dead in the eyes and Says, are you a Christian? Uh, yeah. and he says well your god will take care of you oh oh. my god (laughs) and i said well if you've got that much confidence in him he'll teach you how to do the rest of this too (laughs) i grabbed my guys and we went off location and left (laughs) called the country manager flew out of china done we're out of here yep wow Uh,
1: that's a tripping over the barrel story tim we didn't expect him to just slip into that one
2: Oh, it, here's the here's the best part. He actually caught me at the hotel before I left with his minions and I actually had to formally apologize for disrespecting an elder because I walked off location and didn't respect his authority. And uh oh. like, well, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm still leaving. <laughs> sorry, not
1: sorry. Anyways, yep, don't exactly. Kill, don't kill yeah. people with sour gas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Minor That's good stuff. All
0: right, so uh, you know my crack research again. uh, For those who listen to the show frequently, it's it's all LinkedIn stuff. But (laughs) like a lot of our guests that we have on lately, it seems like everybody's got their fingers in a number of different places. So maybe side hustles or you know part-time gigs and things like that. And you're no you're no different, Eric. I'm looking at least three things that you're listed, and I'm sure you've probably got a couple things going on, but. What, what takes up the bulk of your time?
2: So bulk of my time is, is, is working for a company called geodynamics. I okay. i am a, I'm an engineering advisor for them. Uh, You know, essentially I'm an, I'm an extension to a completions team that an operator has trying to help them optimize their wells through perforation design, uh, taking it a step further and doing the analysis to say, Hey, what we did actually works or it doesn't. Um, sometimes that's a good way to do it sometimes it's not I mean let's be honest if you're if you're fine tuning perforations and hoping to see that result in, in production if you've got a really good setup you're not going to be outside the margin of a type curve anyway so, so is, it,
0: you, is it still kind of your your company is consulting with the operator or turnkey uh, delivering the completion or
2: we are a company that provides consumable products for completion technology so we provide uh, perforating charges, guns, frack plugs, tow valves, um, any any one-off type use for the completion of a well. And, and my job specifically is to support those products, support the sales team, and and really kind of find cool new technologies that we can chase after, have those what-if conversations with operators that can turn into some cool technologies.
0: So you're an expert on shape charges
2: then? I am nowhere close to an expert on <laughs> shaped charges. I am the guy, you tell me what size that hole is, and I will help you optimize your frack job. But I can barely spell wireline, to be honest with you.
0: Jeremy, so, that's, someday we're going to have to get uh, someone who is an expert on shaped charges to, sh- to compare an RPG from the military with a perforation gun in oil and gas. You'd be amazed at how similar they are.
1: No, I I buy that. I mean, I actually can kind of picture exactly what you mean. Just kind of, right. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: I've actually had some conversations with some military guys that wanted to use some of the shaped charges for for breaches, right? Because you can get really, it's a safety mechanism for them because if they can do that on a, on a Bluetooth controlled device from 300 feet away, man, that's a game changer for them.
1: Yeah. With with some real, real horsepower. Right. So, so, Mm -hmm. Real estate, we can talk about real estate in a minute. I want to talk about Iron IQ. I actually spoke to Josh Breaker earlier today. He heads up sales for them. Tim, how familiar are you with the SCADA world?
0: Uh, uh, well, a Fundamental understanding. Uh,
1: I mean, you're in production yeah. ops, so it's yeah, not, yeah, I, I mean, not I, I, too far.
0: I get it. I'm not sure how how far deep you're going with the questions. I don't know. I don't want to go too far.
1: Yeah, I mean, just general famili- familiarity, right? I mean, it's it's a lot like a lot of other oil and gas technology where – they're sort of the legacy vendors and maybe the technology is is not cloud-based. Maybe it's expensive, right? You've kind of put on that technical debt with the solution. And iron IQ is sort of doing your traditional cloud-based SCADA will make you leaner, will, will give you alerts, that sort of stuff. So I believe that it's it's minds, guys, right? So I'm not sure what the connection is with you, Eric, but they seem to be gaining some some traction, um, kind of that traditional, you know, we'll rip and replace and, and put you on subscription and lower cost. So I'm curious, you know, were, were you an early user of those guys or are these mines guys? Like, how did that relationship happen?
2: Well, oh, randomly, um, about about like the way I got into mines, I still haven't really figured all that out
0: yet. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's how all of these work. Every Every one of these winds up being random,
2: right? Yeah.
0: Oh, the energy um, I, tech night and met this guy drinking yeah. a beer and then we're off.
2: It kind of started that way. I, I met, uh, Matt Schulwalter, who's the chair of, of iron IQ at a symposium down in Oklahoma city. And, and he was at the time pitching another product that eventually merged into what is now known as iron IQ. And at the time I was going through and asking these questions. Have you thought about X? Have you thought about Y? Have you thought about Z? Um, What could you do? You've got a really cool platform. You know, we went to dinner, had a couple beers. The next day, would you be a board advisor for us? I'd be happy to. That that sounds fun. So that kind of morphed into um, what is now known as Iron IQ, and you know, they're an absolutely phenomenal skater company. And I, I, so I'm, I'm a board advisor for them. Um, But at the end of the day, I love this team that they have, and I want to see them succeed. So, yes, I am a little bit biased, but um, I really truly believe they've got a game changer. You've got your your legacy SCADA systems out there, which collect data, send alarms, send alerts. You know, some of these things trigger alarms to the point that all the alarms and the alerts go into junk mail because there's thousands of them a day. You can't you can't customize anything. So. What IronIQ has done is made everything customizable. They've integrated Node-RED. You can bring any kind of platform in and talk to any kind of different software with it. You can set your own alarms. You can set your own triggers. And they've really modernized the way SCADA is being used. And it's the perfect time for something like this to come out to the industry because let's just face it, we're kind of archaic in the way we do things. And there's a lot of people that sit there with their arms crossed saying, I'm not going to change because it's, why change something that's not broken? Well, that's a terrible answer.
1: Or or put my or put my job at risk. And and I do get that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I come across people like, you know, at like John Josh was saying, he's like, yeah, I met with this company and I realized there was like four SCADA engineers in the room. And it's like over my dead body, you're getting this product in here because my value is associated with Signet or one of the other, you know, WonderWare or something like that. Right. Regardless of whether or not it's a good company decision, people will look to preserve uh, themselves, right? But yep. um, just in general, right? The move toward cloud will increase adoption of cloud technologies because if the mandate comes from on high and there's cost savings, it will happen. We're archaic in that we're just sort of behind other industries, but I think you'd be surprised. I mean, there's a lot of other industries that are that are not too far off. With
0: yeah, but, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on it a little. I mean, I think there's a lot of innovation, certainly in headquarters in every oil and gas company. It's as we move out into the field, because let's face it, we don't have a factory floor. We mm-hmm. can't go put, you know, a sensor everywhere or one sensor to monitor everything else because, it, and they're so far apart. I mean, we've got wells a couple miles apart and we've got to, you know, drive out there. We've got all these different sensors and one sensor for one well. And it, it's, it's, it's becomes a logistics problem mm-hmm. and an expense problem. That, and that's why, I mean, you just take a value decision from a an oil and gas, from an engineer. See, all right, we're going to spend X amount of dollars to put a uh, rod pump monitor, a sucker rod pump monitor on every well. But anyway, we've got 20,000 wells. We can't go put it on every well, especially when the well's making seven or eight barrels a day. We're just simply not going to do it. So it's it's a lot harder to sit there and adopt technology. Now, that's the problem. I think- mm-hmm the the solutions are there and they're coming down to a price point where I think it's going to make a lot of sense. And now yep. that ESG's going to be a big deal, I think those things are becoming a lot easier to make those decisions. And, and, you know, we want to reduce windshield time for everybody as well. So if we can use this technology to do that. And the point is, the reason we're behind is because we're such a distributed tech, uh, you know, uh, playing Work, field as opposed operations.
1: to,
0: yeah. you know, a, a mine where... There's the mine, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's one location. It's a big location, but it's one location. Anyway, all right. Off soapbox. You, well, no.
1: <laughs> you want to build as repeatable of a process as you can for like assets. I don't think there's any challenge with that. But the point you just made that it ultimately comes down to is not all oil wells and need for optimization are the same, right? Depending right. on what investment needs to be made in a solution and what the lifetime value of that asset may be. Right, So yeah, we can't make blanket statements, but but I think as a whole, and Eric, you can comment on this part, the move to cloud is just accelerating cloud-centric uh, companies that, you know,
2: growth. Yeah, it, it is. And there's there's always going to be companies that are just going to flat out say, no, I, I, there's, I'm not going to put any technology into anything. Sure. I'm going to run things the way that I've always run them. But there are a ton of companies out there that already use legacy SCADA systems and and those providers, and I want to, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. That's not what I'm here to do. But those those companies have just dug their heels in the sand and said, "This is what you get. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else." And
0: eventually they, they will.
2: And eventually they There's will. Exactly. It, but the the thing that sucks, oh well. But you're tied into a five year contract, so it's going to cost you if you do want to go somewhere this is else. The private equity dilemma, so,
1: right here. Yeah.
2: Right. Exactly. So. You know, what What the Iron IQ guys have done is they've identified a need in the industry to be able to customize everything, to to get what you need, not what somebody else is going to give you, if that makes sense. I, I think we're at a, a, a turning point right now where the legacy systems are like, this is what we're providing you and you're going to take it or, or you're not. And, and Iron IQ is a company I think is going to say, this is what we will do for you. If you want to do more, we can do that too. But you can scale it up, you can scale it down, you can do what you want. And I think one of the things that's very unique to them is they can actually, you can have a dashboard for the pumpers to know exactly which wells they need to go see that day to minimize their windshield time, right? And then you can have a dashboard for the CFO that tells them exactly what's been produced in the last 24 hours so he can update his models. You can cater everything to whatever you need to see. So it's completely customizable.
1: This is what I love too about these conversations in oil and gas is like, you could argue that Tim's company does the same thing. You Mm -hmm. can say, I represent companies that build Power BI and do the same thing. It's a natural extension. Once you have SCADA and the data to then start integrating other data with it and, and making it happen, the key is, do you trust the data and is it actually usable? And that's when you can start to say, yeah, we're getting operational efficiency from these types of solutions. But it's, it's a very nice company. And I think, you know, sure, surely what happens is they'll have competition that pops up. Like eventually the, the, the legacy companies will disappear somewhat because they just can't get away with the model and they sort of mm-hmm. die out. And then copycats start to emerge and undercut the, the new kind of like head honcho on price, right?
0: Well, I think the other thing, the barrier to entry I mean, if you go, I don't want to start naming companies. So you God, already mentioned that, but look, Fuck these guys, yeah. do it. <laughs> but you've got legacy companies that in order to change out what they're doing, they know what they need to do. They know they nope. need to go down this path. They simply can't in order to go make that investment to make the change it's just too great. So they're going to mm-hmm. ride the annuity as long as they can make improvements or existing infrastructure and ride it as long as they can. But the barrier to entry now is so much lower to yeah. go ahead and create a new SCADA company, if you will, to, to bring up. I think that you, we're going to see those guys just fade away eventually. And the Iron IQs or the, the, next, the next flavor, will, they'll be competing to take that business.
2: Yeah. And I think what, where they've actually taken advantage of what you just said is the fact that they started on the field side, the hardware side. And they know all that hardware very, very well, and then they built the software around that. Right. So, so you know, every piece of hardware has a different language that it speaks.
0: And did they start with cloud in mind when they started that software part? Yep. See, that's that's the key. If you start, that's what you're starting with, and you've already made that decision. I think that that's, uh, you know, having to migrate from one technology to another to another to another is very costly for these legacy companies. Starting straight to cloud. That's very impressive.
1: Yeah, but it, it, hurt, is it, it hurt companies though. It hurt some companies when they did that 2014, 15, even though there was a decent amount of energy tech business happening because it was it was too early, right? Yeah. It, it, it made the CTO feel nervous about it. So yes, mm-hmm. you're right from a development standpoint. From a business standpoint though, people are saying, well, I need this on premise. Like you might bite that bullet and do it. And no, that's, that's tech debt that you're not going to care about later on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think that the company that, he, that did it perfectly back in 2014, 2015, that started as a cloud company, but nobody really knew it was a cloud company until they started using it, until they got familiar with it, was Well Data Labs, right? Yeah. They yeah. they came out and said, look, we're going to just take all your data. It's going to be secure. I promise. We're going to normalize everything. You can analyze whatever you want against whatever else you want. But had they gone up in 2014, 2015 and said, we're a cloud company, use us? Mm-mm. It was also work. just
1: one subset of data. I think people are always more concerned about production data even than frack data. But um, you know, I guess that's a conversation for a different time.
0: And I think yeah. It's also the, the the type of data. I mean, EnterSight yeah. certainly faced that problem when they went all cloud for planning and reserves. They're not really reserves, but their planning and uh, systems. That was a difficult argument because this is the this is the data that these companies had. This is the this is the golden goose. So yep. they don't want to let that out of the control. It took a long time to get those guys to get uh, the clients comfortable with. Yeah. We're, your data is secure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Yeah. And, and I'll just call it out. I think a lot of that, that the comfortable aspect of things is, is kind of a generational gap that we have yeah. in, in the oh, industry yeah. too. Right. It's, yeah. you know, I, I am proudly not a millennial, but I am definitely the middleman between the older generation and the younger generation. Right. It's, uh, how do you get those two to talk and how do you take advantage of, of everything that the, the, the leadership generation in our industry has right now? How do you take advantage of that? How do you capture that before the the new generation's just stuck running this whole thing and, and running blind? So, Yeah, it's why you're
1: seeing more learning management, knowledge management, mm-hmm. right? Saga wisdoms of the world yep. doing, doing really well because you need to capture that knowledge, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's desperately ignored and, and those training sessions are expensive.
0: Yeah, but all right. Let's, very, let's very talk necessary. real estate here. I'm, this is this has got yeah. me now. So you've you've gone out and gotten uh, what a I don't even know what the term is a license to practice real estate or how does that work?
2: Yeah, I, I'm a licensed real estate broker in Colorado now. Um, so I, if I I'm moving to people.
0: Denver, I just give you a call. So hey, I need a house.
2: Give me a call. I'll help you find one under yeah. hundred
0: under hundred k, and you'll <laughs> you've got it all.
2: You might want to try Iowa. Out of the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, so, I mean, so yeah. what, what what prompted you to go down that path?
2: Well, I, I've always kind of had a, a liking for real estate. I think I told you earlier, I wanted to be an architect when I was growing up. I, I love houses, I love structures, and how you can work with spaces. And I've always told my wife, at some point, I want to I want to get my license. I want to be able to to buy and sell. I want us to be able to have rental properties and our own properties, you know, up in the hills, and no reason to pay somebody else to do all that. Yeah. And when COVID hit last year. And everything slowed down. What a better opportunity to take advantage of the downtime. So I started scrolling around and I saw a company that was um, going through the, the Colorado real estate thing. It was like 350 bucks or something like that. I'm like, man, for that price, worst case is I learned something. Mm. So um, got my license and, and a great friend of mine has his own brokerage here in, in Denver and hung it with him. And, um, you know, the goal isn't to, to just try to do two full-time jobs. That's, that never was the, the purpose of it. It's just kind of to follow a passion and to help people out. So I've, I've relocated a number of times. I understand the pain in the butt and, and the cumbersome process that is. And if I can help somebody out moving to Denver, uh, absolutely. I, I would love to help them out, friends, family, whatever. So
1: it's, it's the right time here, right? I mean, there's just, there's such a demand. -hmm. To be here, houses in my neighborhood right now. I'm in Lafayette. Just go so fast. I mean, it's like they they're not like when when did they when did they sell? It's like yeah, that was that sold last month. I'm like I didn't even see it listed. Like it's
2: it's going crazy. They don't last a weekend.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the thing you know, and since we were talking about going to cloud, I think you know the real estate business as much as any place has changed so much over the last thirty years just due to technology. I mean, the internet in general. And uh, and you know, you can ha- you can find out about a, a house going up for sale, and it's gone in an hour an hour later because somebody else knew about it before you. That's the whole mm-hmm. advantage now, right? You know, it's it's crazy.
2: I mean, it comes down to uh, it. Really, does sometimes come down to networks and and who you know, knowing when stuff like that comes up. It's just it's absolutely insane.
0: Yeah. I had a buddy that this was before all this when I was at spotfire he he had his own little weekend business with real estate it was he i think he was somewhere in Canada, but basically he would find someone who was going to sell their condo or whatever else and he would actually um, have organize a party for that in that condo it was'd mm-hmm. be a blowout party or whatever else and basically only invite people who are moving to the area or whatever it was and say mm-hmm. this is this condo's for sale and it will be sold that <laughs> night and that's, that was kind of his Brilliant. side business so fun get, and uh and you know now you don't you don't need to do that as much but it was kind of interesting just to to listen to how he was selling condos
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's a you know open house kind of strategy at Interesting. So, so Eric, I know you got a lot going on. you got the, the geodynamics, you've got iron IQ on the board, you've got real estate. Where where do people find you? Like if people want to reach out to you, contact you, how do they, they find what you got going on?
2: So man, I guess it, I get, it depends on what they want, right? Uh, <laughs> we should have a
1: scrolling
0: list of all of his contacts.
2: Yeah. I, I'm on LinkedIn and, and I'm, I check it regularly. So if you want to you know, go find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. You can do that. Um, for for Geodynamics, I, I'm on the website. Go go look there. Um, geodynamics.com. Geodynamics.com, And I, I don't know if it's still there. My I did a presentation once, and my face kept scrolling across the website uncomfortably. I <laughs> mean, uh, but yeah, if you if you want real estate, it's Eric at CoHomebase.com. Um, if you want oil and gas it's it's eric.marshall at perf.com and if you just want to get a hold of me call me or or send me a note on linkedin that's, that's that's good stuff too
0: all right so if i'm traveling through delta colorado yeah you know i'm maybe i'm on the you know heading to telluride or so where this,
2: i'm going what what's the thing i need? to yeah <laughs> what do i what do
0: i need to go do in delta
2: Get out. Delta's got a pretty cool little vibe. They, I mean, it's where the, the Gunnison and the Uncompahgre rivers come together, hence the term Delta. So um, it's uh, it's not too far from the mouth of the Black Canyon and, and things coming out of there. So you can go up and see the Black Canyon. Go up on the Grand Mesa. There's a ton of lakes up there, some great fishing. Um, if you want to just keep going through Delta, you can go to Grand Junction for it. Get some mountain biking in. Uh, it's, it's a fun place. It really is. It was a great spot to grow up. I, uh, I'm proud to be from Delta.
0: on um, one of my, uh, we, you know, and anyone who's listened to our show a bunch, I probably said it a couple of times, but I, my wife, my family and I, we did a 50 States quest. And so on mm-hmm. our trip through Colorado, uh, we actually, we turned left at in Montrose instead of right to go to Delta and went up on the million dollar highway down to the four corners mm-hmm. area. Yeah. And so yep. I was surprisingly close to Delta as it turns out, but, um,
2: yeah, I mean, it's, it's,
0: it's, it looked like a great area, and I absolutely loved Uray. I guess that's how you say. Oh yeah,
2: people love that. U Uray. Yep. Uray. Ure. Uray. Okay. Uray. Uray. Yeah. Uh, Uray is beautiful. That's America's little Switzerland. They they've got all kinds of fun stuff up there, and it's if you've been there, you get it. It's just such a cool place. Um, if you ever get a chance to go up there for the Fourth of July, the fireworks echoing off those can the canyon walls oh. there. Oh, it's unreal. Sit in the hot springs and watch the fireworks on on Fourth of July.
1: What's the that's, What's the that's an experience day. you'll remember? Olathe Olathe corn isn't that somewhere out there? Too? Olathe
2: sweet corn. Here's a fun story. So I have, actually grew have up. you had that? That stuff is. I I grew up going to church with with the owner and founder of Olathe sweet corn. Wow. Uh, I know the kids. I know John Harold. Uh, it is the best corn you'll ever have, Definitely. no doubt. Uh, used to sell it. We could sit on the corner in Delta and sell it out of the back of a truck. You got to go pick it up, yourself. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yep, they let you go pick it. You can sell it for two bucks a dozen, use that money to go buy school clothes with. It's fun.
1: School clothes.
2: Mm-hmm, hmm
1: Yeah. Man, it might be some overalls. <laughs> I pick, see, I, I picture that accent there, even though they really don't have one. But whatever.
0: I, I figured it was a euphemism for beer money, so.
1: <laughs> hey, school I mean, clothes. Uh, school school <laughs> clothes. Anyways, Mr. Marshall, appreciate you coming out, my brother. This is a good time.
2: Good times. Appreciate you guys having me. All right, thanks, Eric.